Welcome to yet another episode of the New Ventures podcast. Our guest for today is Dr. Avishek Kumar, co-founder and CEO of VFlow Tech. Avishek, I'm really happy talking to you. You know, we have been doing a series of on Singapore-based entrepreneurs who are building renewable energy businesses. For example, we had your ex-colleague Sujay Malve on the call a few months back. But obviously, renewable energy works only when there is storage. And it's very exciting to have you here because you're building an interesting storage company. Welcome. Thank you, Sanjay, for uh, inviting me to the podcast. It's amazing to be here and uh, glad that you are taking an initiative focused on renewable energy. We'll start by talking about what are flow batteries? Can you help our audience, many of whom are not so technical people, to understand this? Uh, sure, Sanjay. But uh, before I go into a flow battery, I would like to go back uh, on the need of batteries. As you mentioned, we are entering into a decade where we are seeing a lot of solar energy and solar energy is one of the cheapest form of energy. We are also going into electric vehicles and this is nothing but intermittent demand. You will not know when somebody will come and charge the vehicle. So we are entering a decade with a lot of intermittent energy and intermittent demand. The way to balance is long duration energy storage solution. That means we need energy storage solution that can charge four to five hours in a day when there is sun available and then discharge 18 to 20 hours. Now, there is a requirement. There are different battery energy storage technologies available in the market, lithium ion being the most dominating one because of the applications. It's also used in the phone, in EVs and stationary applications. So the range is wide. But there are issues like thermal runaway. If you use your phone for half an hour, you will see that it becomes hot and then the performance degrade. So world need energy storage that can sustain for long duration without any degradation. And flow battery is one such technology that is able to handle long duration energy generation and discharge without any issue. In addition, flow battery, what we use is called vanadium redox flow battery. It works on a principle of oxidation reduction. So we are using basically a vanadium metal and vanadium metal is quite stable. So it has four oxidation state two, three, four, five. And the energy is released by changing state from two to three, five to four. And this you can do it for life without any degradation. And that is called vanadium redox flow battery. We also call flow battery as pumped hydro in a box. So you pump vanadium inside a power stack, which is has a similar configuration of fuel cell where there's a change of oxygen happen and the vanadium come back in the same tank, releasing the energy. And you can reverse it by giving power and the state of vanadium is changed. I hope I was able to explain to the audience how a flow battery works. Well, thank you. So one of the things about flow batteries, that is the energy is stored in the liquid electrolyte itself, right? We understand that it, the point that you made, that it has got better performance for longer periods of time. But explain this liquid storage medium a little bit more. Yeah, so the way flow battery works, where uh, we have powered energy, the energy is stored in vanadium, which is in form of electrolyte, which is nothing but a mix of vanadium pentoxide, a bit of sulfuric acid and water. And this liquid is where the energy is stored. So what we do is that we take the liquid, make the liquid flow through activated carbon. And as I mentioned in my earlier question that vanadium has four different states. So basically energy is stored in the liquid and you move, you pump this, the liquid towards a power stack. And on the activated carbon, when it reacts, it releases energy. 
and it comes back in the same tank. So you have a tank which can be scaled as you need more energy. I'll give you a more simplified answer. So you have a home and you need particularly 30 kilowatt hour energy, but your power requirements are between five kilowatt, like you have a one fridge, one AC, a few TVs, the total power is five kilowatt. We have a battery that has energy in the tank and you can run your appliances one kilowatt for 30 hours. And if you want to increase your energy consumption, you just need to add more liquid, which is vanadium electrolyte. Okay, we are getting to it, but I'll probe a little bit. So the energy is stored in the liquid form, which is this compound of vanadium with water and sulfuric acid. Mm -hmm. And because it is stored in liquid form, which is why you use the you know, simile of a pumped, the hydro pumping because of the storage medium. What does now the activated carbon do? What, what is the role of the activated carbon? Yeah, so you need to release energy, right? So energy yeah. is stored in the liquid and you need to change the state and there has to be a medium. So for example, I have a charged state where the vanadium two is in the charged state. How will I release energy? How will I give the energy out? So the liquid is flown through this activated carbon where it interacts with carbon surface and then it releases electron and V2 becomes V3, comes back in the same tank and the electron is then circulated as a form of current energy. Now the vanadium has released energy. If you want to charge it back, then you supply power to this activated carbon, which is something called flow battery stack. If you are familiar with a fuel cell, composition are very similar. Does that clarify your answer? It does, it does. So as renewable energy is produced, it charges the liquid. As the vanadium liquid moves through the activated carbon, it loses an electron. That electron then flows back to produce electricity, which is what you call giving back, right? Yeah. And the cycle continues because it gets charged all over again through the production of renewable energy. Is that the cycle? Precisely, yes. Okay, so I think finally, you know, at least I have understood and I hope our audience got their hang around this very interesting technology that is coming up. We have already alluded to this earlier about the advantages of the technology, but maybe you can expand on this a little bit more in terms of the capacity, which you've talked about, the safety issues and the costs. As I mentioned, uh, we are talking about now powering ourselves completely by renewables. Uh, we in Singapore wants to import clean power of about four gigawatt. That is about 100 gigawatt hour of energy. Now, renewable energies are only available for four to five hours. Rest 20 hours, you need energy storage. So you need energy storage that can that is capable of storing a large amount of energy for long duration. And particularly infrastructure projects are designed for 25 years and more. Life of solar is 25 years, wind, in the same range. Traditional batteries, lives are in the range of six to eight years. So it does not make economical sense because you have to replace frequently. Flow batteries has certain advantage. One advantage is a lifetime. Our battery ensured more than 10,000 cycle minimum of a battery lifespan, which translate to 27 years of lifetime. So once you have installed it, you don't have to worry about it. Second is the performance degradation. Most traditional batteries performance degrade drastically, which you can wet from the use of laptop and phone that you have been using in two years, the backup from 10 hours goes on to two hours. If you're targeting infrastructure projects, you would like to ensure the performance remains same. Flow batteries on that matter can ensure 
performance of the battery for 25 years and more without any degradation. So if I'm giving a 100 kilowatt hour today, I can give 100 kilowatt hour after 25 years without any issue. Thermal runaway is also existing in many technologies. Then you must have heard about the latest news in, in fire catching in Australia, batteries getting heated up. From safety perspective, it is technically impossible for slow battery to catch fire because we are using liquid vanadium in a, in a metal form and there is the MSDS of liquid is not flammable. So you cannot technically get fire. Finally, the most important is the carbon footprint. It takes about 70% less carbon to produce our battery than contemporary other chemical batteries. And all our components are 100% recyclable. Coming on the cost, as you mentioned about the economics plays a major role. Since the lifetime of battery is more than 25 years, we are using all recyclable component. The cost of ownership of batteries are now coming to be less than seven to eight cents. And it is going to expect it to go down as technology scales further. This is a very comprehensive list. The lifetime is a very important issue. And because of the lifetime, the cost is a, is a concomitant benefit. The other issue that you mentioned is about safety. Now, I actually thought the issue about recyclability that you brought about is also very important. And I wanted to understand a little bit more about this. One of the things that I've heard is that, for example, lithium-ion batteries, there is a dependence on rare earth. Now, in the case of vanadium, you can recycle the vanadium from the spent liquid electrolyte. Is that the reason why you're talking about recyclability or are there other reasons? Thank you, Sonja. That's uh, one of the reasons. So the lifetime of uh, vanadium electrolyte is infinite. That we can use 100%. We can also use vanadium from petrocoke, from uh, refinery waste. The vanadium is also recycled from there. Uh, our membranes, which is uh, from carbons, the activated carbon can also come from plant. That's also recycled. And rest is aluminum, steel, and plastic are easily recyclable without the use of a lot amount of energy that is required in conventional batteries. Right. The vanadium can come from refinery waste. And that is an important point because Singapore is, has a very large refining capacity. So that is very important. But I did not quite get how the recyclability of activated carbon, where it comes from. What type of plants are you talking about? The technology is still uh, at a nascent stage, but technically you can uh, use uh, plant leaf tissues to and decompose it to make electrode materials from carbon. And that's uh, using organic waste can also be used to produce uh, activated carbons. Oh, that's really interesting. That's sort of links to the second generation cellulosic waste, right? Which we have talked about for a long time. I get what you're saying about the technology being nascent, but I think I understand the link now. Okay, I think we have understood a little bit of the technology and we've got an overview of the advantages. Let's move on to applications. I was seeing that you've done some island installations, right? Can you describe what you've done there and why your products are best suited to meet those needs? So as I mentioned, uh, flow batteries are more suitable for clubbing with renewables, powering the load for more hours. The problem with technical current batteries or for a remote islands, when you have installed a different uh, technology, in, you have to replace it in five years, four years, and the battery performance degrade drastically. So we have done a couple of uh, installation where the system has been on remote island and uh, there has been a continuous load of 20 to 30 kilowatt running for 24 hours. So it's basically 600 kilowatt hour of energy generation continuous. So we have formed microgrids putting our uh, battery and solar and then the run 
20 kilowatt loads for 24 hours, which makes it much more economical if you are burning diesel. So the cost of burning diesel is anything between 40 to 60 cents. Putting solar and battery will cost you about 10 to 15 cents. So your project IRR is, is quite good. So we have done those projects. And one of our uh, aim or mission is to also make South Asia go diesel free through solar and battery solutions. So this is obviously, you know, extremely interesting because I think a lot of us understand that Southeast Asia has got very high grid penetration, but there are still islands, including in Indonesia and Philippines, where the grid does not reach. So what you are saying, just make sure that I understand this correctly, these microgrids, the anchor load will be the perhaps the resort owner. Are they all tourist the tourism type projects? So resorts or you know, tourism infrastructure. And then the economic argument is that uh, they need power for a long time. And uh, your uh, storage solution combined with adequate renewable energy is much more economical than a burning diesel. Is that what I should take away? Yes, uh, Sanjay, that is correct. But it's partially correct because it's not just the resorts. I was just guessing that it's partially correct. <laughs> you will be surprised. Even in Singapore, we have islands that there is no grid connectivity and we are burning a lot of diesel on those islands. Uh, Indonesia has a huge consumption of diesel. Malaysia has their mines. So there are a lot more diesel consumption in the region. And uh, it is uh, much more economical. I mean, earlier it was impossible for a battery solution. The cost of batteries was high. Solar was high. So it was not making any sense. But today, it makes absolute sense to convert those installations into solar plus battery solution and get a lower carbon footprint. And, and particularly in our budget, we are now dead focused on carbon taxes. So the economics improves 10 times with the interaction of carbon tax. Right. So I was partially correct only because these islands are not only tourism infrastructure. There is, for example, mines that you mentioned. I suppose there are, you have done a project with a refinery installation in Ireland, correct? So there are industrial and mining operations in these areas, which also provide the anchor load for the microgrids. Is that, would that be a complete understanding? Yes, true. And so when you do these projects, so do you partner with a solar developer or how do you do these projects are practically implemented? So we are working closely with solar developers. We are also working with installers, I mean, EPC companies. We are also forming joint ventures. So it's based on the need and penetration, which partners have what, but partnership is a key to grow. Joint venture, I suppose, would be to provide sort of energy as a service, that type of business, is it so? That is true. I mean, it depends upon uh, how the synergy is with the partners, but energy as service uh, is going to be a major, uh, clean energy as service. There are predominant many players and uh, that makes sense in particular market. Got it. Now, one, you've already touched upon this, and we know that one of the potentially large applications is an electric vehicle charging. So the electric vehicles will still have lithium ion batteries, but the charging stations, which have to store electricity for a large amounts of electricity for a longer period of time, and you know, there's no control on the number of vehicles that will come in for charging, you know, that medium can be your, uh, your flow batteries, right? Can you sort of describe your use case here? Yes. So I have been very vocal. I mean, the purpose you are uh, using electric vehicle is to go green. Now, while you use batteries, it makes sense. You are able to save carbon footprint. But then batteries charged from the grid, which is burned by gas, it doesn't solve all the problems. Now, solar energy is the cheapest form of energy. You can charge from solar, but again, solar is not continuous and it will create lag. So creating an effective solar plus batteries complete off-the-grid self-reliant solution 
makes sense. It's more economical and you can get a, a decent payback. It, it is difficult to compete with grid now, but I believe sanity will prevail and people would like to pay higher for green charging than a charging from the grid. That's one business model that we are seeing. In addition, what we are also seeing, in, I mean, our grids are old, particularly. Singapore is still doing better, but there are countries like India and other countries where grids are not that resilient. Adding EV charger is additional load. At this point of time, when the EV adoption is still low, if you want to increase the EV charging penetration, you will need to upgrade the grid, which is a humongous cost. Instead of that, you can manage the demand and supply effectively Batteries is, is that missing block that can reduce your infrastructure cost, add much more economical sense, and battery can also be used to enable other revenues like power on demand, power trading, peak shifting of renewable. So it starts to make sense from that perspective. It obviously starts to make sense. And I, I really like the point that you mentioned about uh, the grid being old in many, many countries of the world, not just emerging countries. Even for many developed countries, the grid is still old. And just mindlessly loading the grid on may not be a feasible thing to do. But I also understand you've already done a, at least one largish pilot project in this area. Would you like to describe that? We are uh, working on this. So one project that we have started to work is with a Korean partner. And the problem statement was quite interesting. So in Korea, our project partner had a lot of windmills. And these windmills, since renewable energy is intermittent, there are times where you cannot feed the surplus energy to the grid and it's wasted. So we are uh, producing a charging station where we will charge the surplus vanadium uh, electrolyte whenever there is a surplus energy available in the windmill, bring the charged electrolyte to a gas station, create a high voltage DC microgrid to enable fast EV charging. Now this project is very interesting because we are using energy for technically for free, excess renewable energy, using it to charge electric vehicle at a very high pace without impacting the grid stability. And economics makes sense. We get a good IRR of about 9%. So it is making sense. And if this project is still in implementation stage, we are hoping that once we implement it, this model is set, we can easily scale to other EV gas charging stations. Obviously very interesting. I like the point that you made about the electricity being free because it is excess renewable energy. I, I like the point that you made about the electricity being really free because it is excess renewable energy. But because it is windmills, I suppose they are located pretty far away from the point of urban consumption of EV charging, right? And so you still have to transport it, transport the electricity, right? Could you explain a little bit about the geographical dimensions of the problem? So, yes, I mean, uh, in this particular case, the source of renewable energies is a bit far from the the consumption area. And, and the idea was also to use the existing infrastructure. So if you go in a traditional gas station, you will see that there are underground tanks where they store petroleum. We envisage a future where people will not be using diesel. I mean, we are banning diesel soon. So there will be empty underground tanks. We are creating a charging station. So we are just charging our vanadium electrolyte, bringing the charged liquid to a site and putting it in an underground tank. And uh, the infrastructure at charging station is already there. So we are just discharging the energy and creating a high voltage DC microgrid. The transportation cost is included in the business model. Brilliant. I mean, seriously, is this like you charge liquid electrolyte near the windmills and then you bring it in, let's say, you know, tankers and you put it in, the, in these underground tanks? Is that what you do? Yes, uh, for this particular project, yes. 
Okay. You know, this is obviously, you know, extremely interesting, but we have to move on. And let's talk about your foray, not from in Asia, but in Africa in some detail. So what exactly are you planning to do in Africa? So, I mean, as I mentioned, there are a couple of motivation to start WeFlowTech. One was of obviously make Southeast Asia go diesel free. And second was to bring energy equity. So I believe that whole world should have access to clean energy at an affordable cost. Now, what happened interestingly in the last round, one of our uh, companies showed interest in uh, investment in WeFlowTech and that is Singfuel. Singfuel is a local Singaporean company. They are one of the major uh, bunker trading company with huge roots in South Africa, uh, Sub-Saharan African. And it also happens, interestingly, that one of our discussion came to a point that there are about 850 million people in Africa which do not have access to proper grid electricity. Electricity are expensive. And uh, as a matter of fact, energy is the second most desired thing in the world after food. Internet comes third. So we, with Singfinal Connects, we wanted to develop a market and a model in Africa. And uh, we came with a joint venture that is called WeFlow Tech Africa to bring energy as service. So we are building low-cost clean microgrids, distributed microgrids, where uh, Singfuel is bringing on customers, low-cost capital in early stage. WeFlowTech is providing batteries, and our batteries are more robust to deliver long duration, long life, make economical sense, microgrid technology, and uh, supplying to customers clean energy at an affordable price. So that is our way to build a market in Africa and provide affordable energy. Incredibly interesting, if you ask me. You alluded to the fact that there are 800 million people in Africa without electricity. Asia had a large energy access problem. It has been largely solved in Asia. The ability of African nations to solve it through grid expansion is limited for various reasons. For one, you know, it is a population density in many African nations is far lower than in Asian countries. So, you know, microgrids and then pay-as-you-go solar, which is you may have heard about, you know, are very important technologies. And I think your Battery solution would be a great complement to these technology sort of solutions that African nations can have in reaching energy access goals. But uh, let's just move ahead and understand a little bit more. Your microgrid customers, who are they? Are they mobile network operators? Are they mining companies? Can you just describe that a little bit? So we have taken a staged approach, a staggered approach, because we have to put a footprint in Africa and then grow. So we are starting with uh, telecom operators. We are talking to retail chain and mining companies. These are our stage one. Stage two uh, is community grid. We are identifying opportunities of communities that have low electricity or unreliable. And then uh, it goes on a larger mining companies where they are still burning on coal and other form of energy. What is the progress that you have made? So earlier this year, we staged a, a JV company. We have uh, been hiring people actively on this. And we have identified few telecom companies we are defining the loads and we are about to complete our pilot by June this year. And this will be in which country? We are starting with South Africa. Okay, great. I mean, again, just a few sort of thoughts that I have as you are speaking. For example, the GSMA had the Mobile for Development Utilities Innovation Fund. And one of the things that they did was to produce a research report, which is still kind of interesting reading today, of the types of use of renewable energy in mobile, in using mobile or for mobile industry. And one of the types that they identified was using in mobile towers. Uh, it has not been easy to scale solutions, is what I understand. But and one reason is that storage options were not available easily. But I think yours will be a, a very interesting complement to that solution. And could you just describe for this project, right, 
where you'll be selling to mobile network operators, you know, would you be raising specific project finance or how will this be, you know, would, what are your plans going forward? So there is no issue of finance if the projects are viable. And our idea is to make it happen, prove the model that it's viable. And we are, our internal working, so it's 100% viable. Once we achieve that, it has to be a public-private partnership. So there will be equity and debt financing. Debt financing has to be through local banks. Uh, and unfortunately, since the time we have set up, we are getting a lot more interest from international organizations like IFC. And we are exploring a partnership. But uh, I believe that uh, as we scale, Finance should not be a major bottleneck. Delivering the solution will. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest in this area. And what does Singfuel expect to get out of it? At this point, is it a CSR type of project for them? Are they seeing some integration with their own business? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, matter of fact, renewable is the most profitable and safe business as of day to day. And uh, if you will see, all large oil companies are moving into renewables. So as a part of energy transition strategy, Singfuel is also looking to foray into renewable energy, defray uh, some of the activity uh, and grow business. And the whole world is talking about renewables, energy storage solution, and this fits into a, their sweet spot of energy transition strategy. So we are targeting a return of investment of more than 10% for investors on all the projects and which we are seeing it. And interestingly, you'll be surprised that the cost of current electricity prices are already in the range of 14 to 16 cents in most of the African countries. So putting solar and batteries makes absolute sense. And it also reduces a lot of energy wastage because of microwave nature. Absolutely, it makes a lot of sense. I think we've talked about various interesting business aspects. We've talked about EV charging stations. We have talked about the big opportunity in Africa. Let's go back to technology. The vanadium flow battery, there will be improvements in the coming years, right? Maybe you want to touch a little bit on what you think would be, you know, most expected improvement areas. Yeah, I mean, R&D is a core of any technologies. So we are also working on a next generation power stack, which improves the stack power density by three times. And that's a hybrid uh, flow technology. Basically, inspiration from uh, how uh, fuel cell stacks are designed and by changing the flow dynamics. We call it a hybrid flow battery fuel cell stack, which gives uh, three times more power. That's one thing. On the energy front, we are currently using uh, vanadium. Now, vanadium is 15th most abundant element on Earth, but it is less available than iron or salt uh, or organic material. One of the R&D team is looking into new generation chemistry, which is based off organic to reduce the cost further and be more recyclable, less energy consumption. And third uh, innovation, which we are looking is, is on a software side because battery has multiple application. And how do you club this application depends upon the software as a service thing. So we have a team who is looking on improving the energy management system of the battery technologies. So that's, that's our three R&D uh, sector that we think are relevant to flow battery. Great. So the, the third one is integrating smart features on the energy infrastructure. And I think Singapore is doing a wonderful job at that. Uh, we have had some very interesting podcasts uh, with entrepreneurs building those type of solutions. But uh, just on the flow battery itself, taking away two things. Number one is increasing what you call the energy density. So the, the amount of energy that is packed into a limited volume of electrolyte, right? So that's one area in which improvements will happen. The second area in which improvements will happen is use of materials which are more abundant, less price sensitive than vanadium. Is kind of the right, sorry? Yes. And these are the two main on the battery side. 
and uh, we are providing a solution. So software is also a key essential component of our battery. Wonderful. We've come to the end of the podcast. And so I'll you know, start by asking you, you know, you're based in Singapore. And how does the ecosystem in Singapore help companies like yours? I mean, I'm blessed to be here in Singapore. And else there has been uh, enough opportunities and incentive given. And there has been uh, quite a bit of early stage support from Enterprise Singapore and EDB on different aspects. And that has helped. What also distinguishes Singapore from other part is the university support. So there is a good amount of support that we can leverage. And particularly at VFlowTech, we leverage a lot of support from NTO. We are using their lab to make the whole prototype. And these are a great support to test your idea, pilot your idea, and implement it in a use case, which an entrepreneur need at early stage. So that ecosystem is quite well developed here. Government is still looking, putting more effort to develop that. Yeah. You know, you describe yourself as a spin-off from NTU, right? And what do you mean by that? You sort of developed your idea and you tested it in NTU. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. So Arjun, who's a co-founder in our company, Reflotech, he did his PhD in NTU. The early, I mean, it's a seven years of research. You don't develop a deep tech company in a year or two. So his PhD, along with there were three other PhD students working on different technologies. And uh, the earliest, the seed IP was developed in NTU. So we uh, started working on the same idea and build up a company on, out of it. That's why we called it the spin-off of a company. We licensed earlier IP from NTU, and NTU is uh, one of the shareholders in the company. Okay, that you know, is a very active participation of the university. And you, know, you did what is called the Entrepreneurship First Fellowship, right? Uh, you did it in 2018. Can you describe what the fellowship was about and why you got it and how it helped? So EF uh, is a platform where uh, they invite entrepreneurs as a founders and they connect you to the right people. So that's where uh, I met Arjun. I mean, I was knowing uh, NTU is doing this flow battery research, but I met at EF and they basically gives you idea. How do you take the lab scale product to commercialization? They help you open new doors with investors. And that was a six month of program where uh, we had an idea of commercialization of this business technology with some mentoring support. And then uh, I met my first uh, angel investor at EF as well. Great. And then, of course, you've gone on to you know, raise investment. You know, have these investments been from local Singaporean-based investors or international investors who are interested in Singapore? So, I mean, we have a global uh, angel investors based out of a different part of the world. Our pre-series around uh, was Singapore-focused company, but Singfuel uh, was there, led by Wavemaker. Wavemaker uh, has headquartered in uh, San Francisco, and uh, it's a U.S. plus Singapore-based uh, venture capital firm. So Wavemaker led the round and uh, was joined by Seeds Capital, which is ESG uh, Enterprise Singapore funding arm, Seeds Capital and and Wavemaker and Singfuel. Right. So this you know really talks about international interest in Singapore-based companies, but it also speaks to the Enterprise Singapore's um, ability to invest. In, in deep tech companies, it talks about the local large company interest in investing in companies like you. So our listeners should take away a little bit of the holistic feeling of the, of the Singapore ecosystem in supporting companies like you. And on a personal note, you know, you came to Singapore to do your PhD and you stayed on, right? How has been life? Life has been quite good. I mean, I find Singapore to be holistic. It has helped me to grow. I've been particularly in the startup phase and it's very convenient to reach out to any part of the world. So I think uh, this is one of the best place for me 
particularly and now i have a family here so it has become a home wonderful and uh, to end would there be any last message that you have for our audience the world is changing i would probably request all to look into new ways to reduce carbon footprint and looking for more entrepreneurs in in green energy technologies and voices like yours will be very big inspiration to younger entrepreneurs with that thank you very much dr vishak kumar thank you